Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mahita Talks. I'm very excited today to enter our February podcast on one of my most favorite subjects, branding. Uh, to talk about that today, we have Jerry Weedman, who's president of Walter Incorporated. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for being. How did your How's your New Year starting off for you? Uh, it's going well. It's uh, been a very interesting time with the pandemic and the economy and inflation, but things are going well. I know. It's an exciting time to be alive, for sure. <laughs> um, so we like, I know you've heard some of our podcasts before, and we'd like to just kind of start off to get to know our guests a little bit better and their companies. And I know Walter Incorporated really has a lot of different types of companies within the material handling space. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about your company, as well as how you got started in this industry. Sure. So the company was founded actually by my father-in-law in 1962 as a aftermarket parts business for the lift truck industry. Over time, it evolved uh, both geographically and by product uh, range. So uh, he added service and used trucks and uh, rental and then storage and handling equipment, uh, power systems, standby generators, engines, uh, and we do fleet management. So it evolved very, very broadly, uh, both in breadth and depth. Um, and over that period of time, we've now evolved to, from a single garage in Milwaukee to 16 facilities in seven states with 500 employees. So it's uh, moved along quite well. I joined the company in uh, 1991. Uh, I started out doing a one month consulting project and uh, it evolved into uh, a general management position at, at our Illinois operation. And then over the next, uh, that was in 2000, uh, I'm sorry, that was in 1991 and then I worked in Illinois for seven years as general manager. Then I started our fleet department, did that for three years. And at the end of 2000, I became the chief operating officer of the company. And then in 2007, I became president, which is my current position. So I've been doing that for about 15 years. Well, that's quite a ride. I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes. Uh, in the space over that time, for sure. Um, so you kind of mentioned from going from a, a garage to the number of companies and a number of different territories and locations. And previously they were all, or some of them were known under different names. And I know you recently have gone through a rebranding initiative to put them all under that same umbrella. So I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through why you decided to do that and what your process was. Okay. So first, uh, the business was in Wisconsin and was called Wisconsin Lift Truck Corp. Uh, over time, we started to expand and expand through acquisitions. Mainly, that expansion started in 96 uh, as we started to acquire businesses, um, first in Illinois, and then throughout. So uh, as a result of acquisitions, 
we ended up with many different company names. So uh, in Illinois, we were Illinois Material Handling. In Indiana, we were Kenzar Equipment. Then in uh, Ohio, it was Integrity Industrial. In Louisville, it was Honored Equipment. In St. Louis, it was AD Lift Truck. Uh, then we uh, bought a company more recently in Goshen, Indiana, which was, had multiple names, Valent Rider and BT Equipment and Service. Um, we bought a, uh, the Illinois operation is actually the successor of Fiorenza Material Handling, Scott Lift Truck Corp, Chicago Lift Truck Corp, Ellis Systems. Uh, so we had evolved and ended up with about seven different company names. And the way we did it initially is we'd acquire a business and we'd say a member of the Walter Group. So we had all these different names, but they were all members of the Walter Group. So essentially we'd become a um, house of brands, so to speak. And uh, the, the challenge of that is we had seven different websites. Every marketing piece had to have all the names on it. We had all of these different phone uh, numbers, answering phones, how you'd talk to customers. You'd have multiple people from multiple companies at the same appointment. So it became somewhat convoluted and complicated. So about a year ago, we decided that it was time for us to harmonize our brands. So what we did is we started the process um, first with our people, then with our suppliers, and then with our customers, announcing six months ahead of time that we were changing the name and each company took Walter Inc. And uh, it, you know, over the coming months, we did uh, launch events at each of our facilities. We did LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, all the social media, trying to get the word out so everybody would be aware. Uh, we talked to our receptionist who started uh, answering the phone as Wisconsin left a, a Walter company. We did that for each business for six months and then January 1st, we answer the phone Walter, and uh, in some cases, we answer Walter, formally known as, so that people have made the transition. So as of this time, we, we really had great acceptance from our employees and customers, and it seems to have gone very, very well. Yeah, I, I followed your transition over this past year, and I really applaud the way that you guys did it. I've I've worked on a number of different branding type projects, companies similar to yours, and I've also been a part of those before um, before doing this. And um, there's this tendency to want to just rip the bandaid off and just change everything and make one simple announcement and just assume that the market accepts that. And I think, you know, recognizing that it takes that repetitiveness for people to really, really stick with people and kind of that slow transition so that people understood going in. And then when you actually you know, rip the Band-Aid off, so to speak, and make the official change. It's not shocking to anybody, and they already know who you were because you've spent that time kind of gradually doing it. And it's painful because sometimes you just want it to be yeah, over. Right. You, know, you want to stop going through all these steps. Um, 
but I really think it's so necessary and, and so appropriate. So nice job in that. And, and thank you for walking us through it. Having said that, going through and acquiring a number of different companies, especially in this space, a lot of those companies tend to be smaller kind of mom and pop shops that have gotten bigger throughout the years. And there are employees that work at those places that have a real emotional connection to whatever their brand was. And I think it's hard sometimes for employees to make that emotional flip from what they knew their company to be to what the new name is. So how do you work with employees of those companies to explain the change and kind of go through that process with them? So it's it's really a communication issue. So um, each company is used to thinking only in their very parochial way about their local market and their local customers. But as they get introduced to the broader scope of our business, the other divisions we have that they can market to their customers, uh, they begin to get a sense of being part of a bigger entity. But it, it really takes time for us to talk to the, talk through it at each location with all of the companies to make sure that they are um, comfortable with it. And frankly, we did that over a long enough period of time, explained why we were doing it and had you know a big uh, live event launch and explained it again explained it in our newsletter uh, and uh, explained it in in-person events at each facility uh, that over time i think they all came to understand and accept and and actually embrace it um, and you know when i call the numbers and i hear people say uh, walter and uh, explain the, co the broad company, I realize that they get it. So it, it's worked pretty well. Okay. And sometimes, and you had mentioned sort of these regionalized companies, and a lot of times they have relatively good brand recognition within their specific space. Um, so knowing that and knowing their customer base, how are you really easing the customers into this change? Because some of them may have that same emotional connection with the name of the company they were doing business with before. So it really starts uh, at the point of acquisition. So when we acquire a business, we always send out a uh, uh, brochure to all of the customers that says joining forces and it shows uh, their company joining forces with, at that point, Walter Group. Um, then we call on the top accounts to explain the concept. And some of the critical pieces from a customer's viewpoint is their account manager who calls in them stays the same. Their technicians that take care of them stay the same. When they call for parts, they talk to the same person. So. Uh, we try and uh, describe that they will be well taken care of, that everything they came to enjoy with the prior company will not only exist, but we will add so many more products and services and capabilities to it. And so it's a, a matter of getting them. They will test it over the first six months to say, it, does it feel the same? Does it, you know, am I being treated the same? And then over time, they'll come to realize the other products and services and realize that it actually has enhanced the relationship as opposed to detracting from it. 
It's just that mutually beneficial arrangement. So all of the things they get now, plus more right. with addition, additional resources. You know, and I, I'm curious, and I, I've been in this discussion a few times, and I'm, you know, there's argue, there's been arguments on both sides when kind of deciding whether to change the name and put it under one umbrella or allow each company, so to speak, to have their branding within their territories. And there are, you know, pluses and minuses to both. Um, but I'm curious as to why you decided to make this change now and what the benefits are for you to put them all under one umbrella. Well, I think to, part of the driving force of it is if you look at a small business in the market looking to take care of larger customers, there's a detriment to being small as the economy has evolved and the size of the customers have grown. Uh, also, the complexity of explaining who you are, I always figure if you spend a half hour trying to explain who you are, you're wasting valuable time with a customer. So, uh, you know, when you have multiple divisions under different names, it, it just complicates the relationship. But we also did an outreach. We uh, did a survey of customers and our employees. It was run by our marketing uh, company to find out what the perception was of a change like this. And there was a overwhelming support for consolidating under one name from the employees and the customer. The, the one risk we were concerned about is there's this um, local feel that having all these smaller companies has to it. So the concept of um, think global, act local is part of the, the mantra that we do, but that goes into how we construct the relationship between those individual operations and the corporate center in that the customer facing services that take place with customers maintain that local relationship and feel. We don't change that. And and so uh, because the companies we had bought had gone through that process and had actually been acting in that way and seeing that we didn't come in and just move everything to a corporate center and give them a list of policies and procedures and say, this is what you're going to do and don't ask any questions. You know, we were uh, telling them that we want to maintain that local relationship and local feel. And uh, mm -hmm. because I think most of them experienced that in person, it made it a lot easier for them to relate and relate it to the customer. No, that makes sense. And I think, you know, there's always that scariness that people have, you know, that fear that people have in an acquisition. And I think that touch, that personal touch and assuring people that everything still exists plus more, you know, really is at the foundation of a good branding strategy. Um, you know, I'm curious as as you talk about different regions, different companies. I remember in in college, we we would study you know different business cultures, but that always meant you know studying what Japan does or what you know European companies yeah. do. And years ago, I was in a situation where I'm from Chicago. We acquired a company in Atlanta, and to be honest, I thought culturally we would all be the same <laughs> because it's all in the United States. And I learned 
very quickly that just the difference, you know, of Chicago to Atlanta, you know, is very different. And I'm sure you've experienced much of the same thing, right. you know, in terms of cultural differences um, within your company. So I'm curious as to how you've addressed that during an acquisition. So what's what's interesting to me, because I think uh, when we form regions, we always end up with different size operations. So we end up with a large central operation uh, that has uh, the bigger market. Like in Illinois, uh, we have Chicago, we have Rockford, and we have St. Louis. Uh, in uh, the southern part of Wisconsin, we have Milwaukee and Janesville. Uh, so Milwaukee is a second tier city. Janesville, I consider a third tier city. Uh, if you look at in Illinois, Chicago is definitely a first tier city. Rockford's a probably a third tier city. And mm -hmm. so what I really find the difference culturally is more that more smaller community versus large uh, metropolitan area in that the uh, smaller areas, there tends to be more of a personal relationship with customers. There's more of a long-term loyalty. People tend to trade locally. Uh, the larger, um, where you have all the bigger corporations with their distribution centers and manufacturing operations and everything else, it's the scale of business and the speed of business is faster. So by buying businesses in those markets, that culture is sort of permeates their business because to exist, you need to compete. So the, the real issue there is not to try and conform uh, a Chicago cultural experience to a Milwaukee cultural experience because they're very different. So, you know, they exist and the people, if you actually, I mean, you can actually tell, and I know you're, uh, you did a lot of work in the Chicago area, the, South side of Chicago, you know, south of Roosevelt is very different than north side of Chicago. And so, you know, you have salespeople that are in one cultural experience and salespeople in another. So the real key is, I think, to be somewhat of a chameleon when it comes to the type of market you're in. But the overall values of our business and of our people is really, it's a Midwestern uh, experience and Midwestern work ethic. And so there is a commonality. The variability I find is mainly by size of uh, the metro area that they're headquartered out of. Yeah, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Um, kind of, of moving along, we talked about cultural differences. I'm also curious, as so I would have to imagine in this day and age when we deal with technology and acquiring companies, and everybody these days uses something different. There's a different ERP, there's a different CRM. I've worked with companies that just manage it on a spreadsheet and don't have any formalized system. And I'm sure you've kind yeah. of seen a little bit of everything. So how do you work on the technology component of really combining all of your organizations so that it's efficient and effective to run it? So our, our approach is to convert all of the acquired businesses over to our ERP system, our CRM system, uh, even the way we do quoting and processes, we will evolve over time. Uh, we try and convert as close to closing to our ERP system, just because it simplifies the financial management of the business. Uh, but when you talk about encountering all types, uh, 
we recently acquired a business that was still doing uh, counterparts invoices in, in handwriting and mailing them out to customers. And they, they also were using an old, old uh, work order system where you peel strips with the hours that the person worked on a work order and put it on the back of the work order. So they were using things we used at our business 35, 40 years ago. Uh, so it's a little bit of a cultural difference to move from that to where we are. But generally, I mean, I think that's become easier over time because everybody at home, their kids, their everybody's using technology. So where it used to be novel to have a laptop and you'd have to show them how to turn it on and things. So everybody's really got their own computers and that kind of thing. So the adoption is, uh, I wouldn't say, uh, with a, a warm embrace necessarily every time, but uh, the adoption does take place fairly quickly. Yeah, that's good. I, I do think that's one of the things that people tend to fear the most in acquisitions is just converting technology. And a lot of times it's more efficient, but you know, when you know a piece of technology really well, it's intimidating a lot of times to learn a new piece of technology. Um, but I think to your point, anymore we're so used to learning new technology that it's probably not as big of an issue now as maybe it was even 10 years ago. I, I would say the one thing that's true though is whatever technology a company's using when you buy them, they know it, they know how to do their job, they can execute without thinking. So the big the big problem is the sudden change to something. Now they don't know how to enter anything. They don't know how to use the software. And so we try and provide as much support as we can to learn it, but there's a learning curve, right? It, as in anything, it, I, I always promise them, I'm, I'm going to mess up your life for about six months and then it'll get better. And uh, they, they always tell me I deliver on that every time. So, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> six months is not bad, though. I would take six months of pain um, to come out good on the other side. Um, so we, we've talked a lot about that process of acquiring and, and what you go through in those steps. I'm curious how you get to the stage of acquiring a company in the first place. How are you making those decisions of who you're going to acquire and, and when? Yeah, so the, uh, our acquisition strategy is um, uh, has been pretty much the same for a long time. We laid out a strategy saying that we want to grow our business by 10% a year, either organically or by acquisition. Uh, we said that when we do acquisitions, we would acquire businesses in the same business we're in or complementary with the same customer base or type of customer in our footprint or contiguous to it. So if you follow that pathway, we've gone from Wisconsin to Illinois to Indiana to Ohio to Kentucky to Missouri uh, and Indiana. And so we basically moved in a outward uh, pathway where always the next acquisition was in proximity to current operations, which just makes it easier. Now, uh, when we laid out sort of our target map, uh, within that, we had to pick companies that would fit and where we knew their manufacturers, uh, their ma manufacturer relationship was not such a big barrier that it would make it difficult to accomplish. Uh, so I basically reach out when I'm doing an acquisition. I generally will talk to 
uh, 10 companies that I generally know the business. I, I many times know the principles of people in the business uh, and will reach out to them and, and find out what their succession plan is. One of the core reasons, there's a couple of core reasons people have sold to us. One is they are approaching, ownership is approaching retirement and doesn't have a succession plan. The other is the technology and the investments required to serve the customer base has become more complicated, more expensive, and more difficult to sustain. And so those two reasons form sort of the primary reasons people say, yes, I'm interested in having a conversation. And so yeah. if I talk to 10, generally three to four of them will be interested in selling at the time I'm talking to them. And then I will go into the process further. And if it's one that the pricing uh, and the synergies make sense to them, we'll go forward to closing. So, you know, we've done over the years probably about 15 acquisitions. Some have only been three people. Some have been 50. Um, but it's always been same industry, same customer uh, type uh, with, with uh, in either in our footprint or contiguous to it. So we've stayed true to that strategy, which makes it easier to identify what you're going to do next. Yeah, and I think that's such an important piece that you're not out, you know, looking at companies that are manufacturing, you know, computers or, or whatever you're seeing within the material handling space. And the good news is the material handling space has gotten so much bigger <laughs> in the last 20 years. Right. As to, it would have been, there's a lot more opportunity. So, Jerry, you have made it to our lightning round of Mahita Tots. Okay. So the lighting round, I'm going to ask you 10 questions. Like I said, we like to get to know our members much better. So I'm going to ask you 10 questions and then you'll just tell me the first answer that comes to your head. I've tried to keep all these questions as appropriate as possible. Um, I wish okay. you the best of luck. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. It's very cold here in Chicago. I know it's very cold here in Wisconsin. Um, so I'm looking for what's your favorite summer activity as we look forward to the weather getting warmer? So the summer activity is motorcycling, both uh, off-road and on-road. They do snowmobiling too? Uh, that's in the winter. I thought you said summer. So in yeah, the winter time, I did do... If it, if it transitioned as a winter sport as well. Um, what's one thing that annoys you the most? One thing that annoys me the most? Uh, I don't like traffic jams. I don't like being stuck. I like motion. <laughs> I, I like that. I would have to agree with that. Um, <laughs> Have you ever tried to do something that you knew you would be really bad at it, and you were? Um, well, I, I'll give you the example. I took up uh, this adventure motorcycling at age 64, and the person that talked me into it, uh, Joe Hewis, uh, who sold us software in the past, uh, had done enduro riding and motocross and all that many times. So he had a group of friends, and they were going to – I was going to go out ride with them. So you got a 64-year-old guy who'd never done it before following four or five guys that competed for years and were about 15 younger than I am. 
So I pretty much knew that that wasn't going to go well. And I have a few broken ribs uh, to show for it. So. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, um, what new technology do you believe will transform the future? There, there are a number of interesting uh, technologies that are uh, being deployed right now. So the automation of uh, manufacturing space and, and warehouse space is changing what we will sell long term. Uh, and we're starting to sell automated systems uh, now. Uh, the, the automation or uh, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, are things that are coming along. So, for example, uh, we for our operator training division, we do virtual reality training as part of our operator training. Uh, that will move along. I suspect at some point OSHA will allow it as the sole mechanism for operator training. Um, we we are uh, working with our technicians. We we want to use the uh, smart glasses for our technicians. We've created a group that supports our technicians that are 20 and 30 year veterans that will basically look at what they're looking at, log into the computer they're diagnosing so that the ability to do remote diagnostic support will be become normative because we have a lot of uh, senior technicians retiring and junior people coming in. So those technologies are there today. Um, the the interesting thing about self-driving vehicles, I think we'll have a point where uh, semis will be coming across the country without drivers. And uh, I suspect our service vans will change to have a uh, self-guided inventory vehicle that will drive to each of the customer's site and join up with our technicians independently of them at some point. So I'm, I'm very intrigued to see the evolution of this. And for when I'm yeah. too old to walk and drive, I'm looking for the self-driving car to take me where I want to go. <laughs> well, we're in the middle of the Winter Olympics. So what is your favorite Winter Olympic sport to watch? Uh, skiing is uh, something I've done, therefore I'm connected to it. And uh, I can't do anything like they do, but it's uh, one of the, my favorites to watch. Um, if you had to choose to live in a place that's cold all the time or hot all the time, which would you choose? And we're not talking about mildly hot or cold, like severely cold and super hot. Well, my answer would be cold because I, I dislike severely hot. My my wife might have something to say about that, and she would choose the opposite. <laughs> that makes her a perfect marriage. Um, do you use an Apple or an Android phone? I use an Apple phone. What is your favorite thing about Mahita? Mahita has been an excellent uh, networking forum for me, uh, not only when I was on the board and the executive committee, but just going to any of the events and participating in any of the events. I've developed lifelong friends who are in the industry that we can share uh, strategies or anything, talk about family, doesn't matter. It's been an incredible forum for uh, all sorts of both business and personal relationships.
Great. And Liz didn't even pay me to put that in as a question. I did that all on my own. Um, <laughs> what's the last band or artist that you listened to? The last one I listened to, I think it was uh, Moody Blues. And are you a morning person or a night person? Uh, that's been evolving. I'm more of a morning person now. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning you used to be more of a night person? Uh, yes. Youth is wasted on the young, you know. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Well, you made it through our lightning round, and thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. Do you have any parting words you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, just uh, entertain all the new technologies and change go with it. It's going to be an exciting future. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. This has been Sherry Altergat with Mahita Talks, and we'll see you next time.